Grant Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, Grant down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bursts through the defence. Just watch this. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Uh, due to the IRFU's very generous player management program, we've all taken most of September off, but we're finally back just before the European season kicks off. Good evening, Moles. Good, Good evening. evening. Um, we're going to start with uh, a bit of a discussion about um, the number 10s around the provinces and uh, in particular the travails of um, Joey Carby down in Munster. And then a, a slightly more unsuspecting character, Billy Burns, up in Ulster. Um, you had suggested to me on the agenda for this, um, if you could ask Joey 10 questions, what would they be? Yeah, I remember writing that in a, in a message to you. And, and I also said that he doesn't have to answer any of them. But it, it struck me that uh, when he was put on the stand... Um, that's unfortunate, bearing outhouse history in mind. When he was put on the press conference top table, some of the questions he was asked were, they were just pointless. There, there was no point in asking them. Like, it was like, how are you getting on? It was, it was lame. You know, he's there to be asked questions, and you don't, are you fi- how, how are you fitting in? Like, who fucking cares about that? It's a stupid, pointless question. It's an interesting subject to ask him. He's like, what was your contract situation? Did you ask your agent to go for a central contract? These, these are... Like, he doesn't have to answer the questions. But, like, those are interesting things to find out. He doesn't like it. it's his employment history. Like he's he's under no obligation to answer them. But you know, it was a big move. Everything is it has now settled down. But it was a big move at the time. He gave an interview in in April saying he was pretty happy where he was. And in May, he was uh, he had decided to leave Leinster for um, for Munster. You know, and other questions I'd ask him. What was said in the cafe? What was what was said in the cap? Well, 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 you know, did you get any game time guarantees? Were you told that you'd be playing in the Heineken Cup at ten? You know, why, why not Ulster? Why you, not? Why not Ulster? You left midway through your contract. What convinced you to leave when you did? Was yeah. it a talk in a cafe <laughs> that went around social media? What convinced you to sign for as long as you did with Leinster? Yeah, these the, you know. I, I, I clearly I hope Carby has a plays really well and he's um, you know he continues to improve uh, and I've, I bear him absolutely no uh, absolutely no ill will you know I think he's a super player and uh, I think. Playing a lot at 10, a lot of games in a row, will really help him to get better in pressure situations where he's he's um, he can always do something off the cuff, but in a continued pressure environment where he's continually asked to um, make decisions, I think that's going to, of course, is going to really help his, his, uh, his progress as a player. But I think all of those questions are interesting and far more interesting than how are you getting on? Um, Don't they, fucking bother to ask that question if you're no. a journalist. It's stupid. Well, those press conferences things are kind of a bit weird anyway a lot of the time. They are weird, but that's because, I, well, they're weird because people asking just banal, stupid, like press conference, press release, bullshit questions. Like you're there. You're not asking anything um, obscene or... But they're like those contractually obliged uh, mid-half interviews with the assistant coach where it's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm really trying to watch the game, but 
I've learned awesome things to say that are complimentary about our team, complimentary about their team, and fill up the obliged 45 seconds. I don't think those things should happen at all. No, they're a fucking farce. So, I, I, you know, I'd like to know the... I'd like to know the ins and outs and the timeline of, of how, how it happened. And, you know, maybe, probably, you could argue it's none of my business. It's his private employment status. But uh, I'd still like to know. <laughs> Was there, uh, it's only struck me now. Was there somebody from Man City or Arsenal who made a comment about like how, how anodyne a lot of the questions are and they don't, they don't get asked was a Gundogan? They don't get asked any decent questions, but he'd actually quite a lot to talk about. But no one ever asked him, so they just put on their press conference heads anyway. So there's a if sort of if it was Gundogan, maybe people would have asked him why he posed with or yeah, your man. Yeah, I was Gundogan's got a story. Might have been someone tell, else. But, um, I guess I think, but I think, but the certainly my perception when the Carberry move was announced was that. Uh, but Joey was going down I mean Joey sat on the bench but Joey started the first test down in Australia and then sat on the bench uh, for the second Ross Byrne was on the bench, sat, sat on the bench for the third, for the third no Ross Byrne yeah Ross Byrne was on the bench for the third one um, so Joey definitely number two to Johnny Sexton who is definitely number one and then the the chronology of it is quite um, I just had a wee look back because Billy Burns wasn't on my radar at all so the what happened the 14th of May, uh, Cipriani went to Gloucester. That was announced. And he went from Sale. So Dwayne Peel played for Sale and has connections with Sale. Uh, so he knows Steve Diamond well, who's Mr. Sale. And then on the 31st of May, 2018, um, Carberry to Munster was announced. So he was announced after Cipriani. And then on the 9th of July, uh, Billy Burns joined Ulster from Gloucester. And Billy Burns is Irish qualified. So... Billy Burns left Gloucester because Cipriani arrived. Mm. Cipriani left from Sale. Dwayne Peel is coaching Ulster. Dwayne Peel sort of knew something was in. So I'm joining the, or I'm, I'm suggesting, I don't know if anything happened. I don't know how much of a heads up. I don't know when Billy Burns came on their radar, but at some stage they must have been aware Billy Burns is going to go. And I I don't think Billy Burns would have ever gone to Munster with the out-halves that they have. Like So they had Keatley playing most of their matches last season, JJ finishing in the in finishing in the, in the the Heineken Cup semi and then starting in the Pro 12 uh, semi, the Pro 14 semi. Tyler Blaindale injured and haven't played Heineken Cup matches the year before. And then Bill Johnson, who's sort of an unknown young, but like, you know, re- relatively heralded player um, compared to Ulster, who... Had a really tough season last, you know, describes a basket with Brian, Brian O'Driscoll, but still qualified for the, the Champions Cup. And I qualified for the Champions Cup, I think, at, the, at that stage, end of May, against the Ospreys. Yeah, they had that demolition derby game. I don't know if you... I, I was wondering where Louis Ludic was um, at the start of this season. Don't remember he got injured in that game, as did Luke Marshall. Players were getting carted off in that game. Mm, but that was that was a that was a big old match. Um and Ulster, so Ulster were, Ulster were fairly poorly at the end of last season and you could understand why somebody would make a decision and look at it and go, ooh, I don't fancy this in the moment. But in the Champions Cup, uh, big stadium, big crowd, uh, and no competition to play in at half. So Billy Burns is now in the shout for the Ireland jersey. Um, Joey Carberry's the obvious number two, but... I also thought it was kind of odd that um, Ross Byrne didn't want to go up to Ulster and negotiate hard to get the deal. I can understand why he'd want to stay at Leinster when he's familiar. But I thought, God, like, this guy must be able to get like a three-year deal on really good money if he goes up to Ulster. Yeah. And he'd be guaranteed starting out half. Whereas by not going up there, he opens the door for somebody else to come in. Now, like I doubt he would have thought of Billy Burns either. But like Billy Burns is going to start all of Ulster's Heineken Cup matches. He's going to start all of their Pro 14 matches. Mm. Like He's going to be in the shop window. Whereas Ross Byrne isn't going to start Heineken Cup matches unless Johnny Sexton is injured. It's, um, it is a good point. I remember at the time when when that discussion was happening, it was Lancer will have to choose to to leave one or lose one of their out halves, and he's going to to Ulster. And that start that story started quite um, quite a while before the end of the season, and. You know, I think at the time, I think we actually covered it. Or when I say we covered it, we talked about it. <laughs> we talked about a lot of shit. But, uh, and, you know, what what we both sort of ended up agreeing was, it, you're in a position there where you ask for a central contract. 
if you're asked to move mid-contract from one province to another province for the benefit of Irish rugby. Yeah, that was in inverted commas, by the way. <laughs> um, then you, then you, you have leverage and you use your leverage. You say, okay, well, I'll move if I'm put on a central contract. Yeah, or get like, you know, a three-year deal. Or a three-year deal. Oh, yeah. You, you know, you go and maximize your value. Um, but it was pretty apparent that they weren't super interested in in uh, <laughs> Ross Byrne actually going to us. They just basically wanted Carberry. <laughs> Joe Smith was, Joe Schmidt was I, I believe Joe Schmidt uh, was impressed with Ross Byrne on the Australian tour, but, you know, clearly Carberry is the guy he wants in his match day 23. Yeah. So then you get to the, I, I suppose, to, to bring us up to date and... You're always, you're always familiar of your biases. Like when you hear people talk and you go, God, they're, they're, your man really talks sense. And he goes, yeah. he talks what he, because he, he says what I think. Yeah. Yeah. He's um, sensible. That's a great article. <laughs> <laughs> I'll read it out to you. I know, no, it's okay. Um, that, uh, I, I had qualms about Joey's best position being out half yeah. last season. And I thought that like he's a magnificent rugby player. Uh, but maybe fullback, maybe fullback's a better fit for him because he goes in that second receiver role. And I just felt he plays a lot of rugby going in between, like in between the two tens, just going across the pitch because he, he refuses to kick. The only kicks he puts in are cross kicks. And we talked about it after the Fiji match. We talked, or sorry, if it's a consequence of the Fiji match. And then certainly after the, the Saracens game, which is the quarterfinal of the mm. Heineken Cup, when he came on and Nick McCarthy had to do all the kicking. And <sighs> I had to see, I had to say, I saw. I saw it again uh, watching Munster play against Cardiff. See, I only saw the highlights of that's high. Yeah, and just watching Anscombe play. And Anscombe, Anscombe got field position, and he mm. just kicked to the left. So he kicked to Munster's right wing every single opportunity he got. He kept it in field. He did it so often that it was certainly a tactical ploy. So it wasn't just Conway. Sometimes he peppered down on uh, Hanrahan, but they knew exactly what was happening. And Connick picked them off, and um, sorry, not Connick, Cardiff picked them off and got a number of penalties in the second half that were in Munster's half. And Anscombe had no, like, there was no kicking into the corner because mm. they were on three tries. It was just get the win, stretch it out, crush them. And it was a really professional sort of man's performance. Uh, there was nothing aspirational about it, it was just beat Munster. Uh, whereas I felt Munster played. Certainly didn't kick and didn't get any decent, got very little decent territory and possession. And I read that book, The Boys in the Boat, and we were sort of chatting about it. So it's basically about the swing and it's about what happens when a crew of, of eight guys work in harmony and they become better than the sum of their parts. Mm -hmm. And there, there's certainly a bit of it as a rugby team that your halfbacks need to nurture your forwards. They need to keep you going forward. They need to get you the reward for the grunt and the, the battle to win the ball is by giving them an opportunity. Because that's where you score tries. You score tries from inside the opposition 22, unless you're the All Blacks. But no other team in the world has the skill quotient that the All Blacks have to be able to put the ball through multiple phases, through multiple pairs of hands, get into that sort of broken field environment. And they have such pace throughout the, throughout the team. Yeah, and score those tries from deep. And, and and they pick an out half who is a bit like Joey Carberry. He's better, but he's question marks over his goal kicking. He rarely tactically kicks, but he's just such a magnificent Rolls Royce of a runner and distributor and yeah. footballer. And again, again, you know, very um, able cross kicker. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a pleasure to watch. Um, so I was wondering after that... Munster have a tough few weeks of fixtures coming up. So they're playing Ulster in their first Interpro. Mm. They're playing them at home. Then they go away to Leinster. Then they play the Exeter Chiefs in their first European match away. Then they play... Shit, is it... No, it's, Glo it's Gloucester in, in their group. And they, they play them at home. So it's a match that they should win. Uh, cast with the other team in that pool. And I was sort of thinking, God, like what happens if they don't... What happens if they lose two of those three matches? The point that you made to me about their current win-loss record is you know played played for one two lost two is that they've actually suffered you know pretty significant losses away both games away and both games on plastic pitches yeah and the two matches that they've won have been against weakened teams so an uninterested cheetahs team to open up and then an osprey's team weakened osprey selection no, and well, no tip start quite strong 
Um, my memory of them over the last two years has has been that they've started reasonably. They started at a good lick, and I expected Munster to be very good. Uh, and there's plenty. It's it's a long season, you know. It's a long thirty game season, and there's plenty of time for them to gel together more coherently, which is one of the things which they're missing. Um, but I, I I expected them to be uh, I expected them to be setting the pace. Um, yeah, and I suppose really the the the, the issue that I see because look, Hanrahan has started matches. Uh, Hanrahan started against Glasgow. It's not all down to Johnny Sexton or not Johnny uh, Joey Carberry, but I wonder what happens if they lose those two matches. What happens if they lose to Leinster? They lose to Exeter. They beat Ulster. They're going into a match at home against Gloucester, and Joey hasn't played particularly well in those matches at out half. Mm. Do questions start getting asked? And if questions start getting asked, what sort of pressure? Because it looked a very straightforward uh, uh, arrangement, was that Carberry went down to Munster, he started at 10, he got the bid-match exposure, and he got better. Isn't that the way it works? But what happens if it's not the way that it works? What happens if you start having sort of, in his team, reservations about, is there not a better way for us to play as a team? Can we not get more field position? Do Munster not have a problem that, well, the, their biggest problem is that they're missing their best player at the moment, well, whether he would have been playing all those games or not, mm-hmm. but they are, if certainly going into those European games, they're missing Conor Murray, who's their best player. But then, they're, the thing is, they've been playing a brand of rugby for certainly the last two seasons uh, in adverse circumstances to do with the coaching situation for a variety of reasons, but they've been playing a kind of rugby that will get them to a semi-final. Yeah. But doesn't look like it's ever going to win them a tournament. And, and like, the other thing about, if you're saying uh, Joey Carby, maybe um, he might get exposed. It's like, well, the art, the option isn't to go back to Keatley or to Hanrahan, who they've already, Keatley's a servant, but like not the answer. And Hanrahan is a guy whose confidence they have doubted numerous times. So that I think they would be much better served showing faith in Carby, who hasn't played enough 10 to really establish himself, whether he is or not, is or isn't a 10, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's that's all solid. I certainly think any team in the world would miss Conor Murray. Uh, and But I think it is human reaction to say, like my view in the Carberry move to Munster is it has to work. What happens if you start going, Joey's our best fullback? Or we're definitely going to pick Joey, but, you, you know, we're going to pick Keats for a big European match because we need a certain style of play. And Keatley's not as good a rugby player about Joey, but confidence is a big thing in players. And I, I'd just be slightly uneasy that it's not going to be as straightforward well, I think as the more minutes I, equals I, I agree. better I think better it's, for I everybody. don't think it is a straight, I don't think it's a straightforward line. Uh, progress rarely is. Yeah, especially in... Um, you know, to borrow a terminology from the NFL, the skill positions, uh, positions which require confidence. You know, if you th- consider like a second row, uh, you can all, if you're not playing particularly well, if you've knocked on a ball or you've missed a tackle, you can double down on effort. You can make make yourself get off the ground quicker, make yourself hit the next rook harder, um, make yourself put in a huge hit, the huge amount of effort that can go to remedy things in your game. Whereas if you are a back, um, there's only a certain amount where you can go looking for the ball before you might be caught out of position. And a lot of the time you're actually waiting for the ball to come to you. And now if you're in the hinge in nine and ten, you're going to get the ball a lot. But you know, I think Carby's renowned as being a, a very confident and very yeah, confident in his own abilities. But there are external factors at work. You know, if a team isn't uh, particularly performing well around you your confidence will take a knock. And it isn't just a case of the more minutes he gets, the better he gets, straight line and, you know, 45-degree ascending graph. You, it's not a straight line. Uh, absolutely. Uh, definitely agree with that. But if he has the confidence of Schmidt, sort of, come what may, a few bad results for Munster. Like, Leinster had that season where they got wiped out in Europe. Mm. And, like, everyone was like, Ooh, Leo's not really cut out for it. But I think there's sort of admittance that you know they were coming out of a low ebb from the end of the O'Connor era and 
in the long run, Leo's... They're also coming out of a, they're also coming out of a World Cup. Yeah, coming yeah. out of a World Cup, I think, was the big... But, and, two, but two, they, two issues. They're different situations, and I, I'd be just keen to say this: there's a variety of ways that it'll, it'll play out. And it might be that Carberry absolutely uh, rips Exeter apart and they win in Sandy Park and they win with the virtuoso try and it's like, oh, you know, well, you're wrong. So that might happen and it might be that they they get a bonus point away in Sandy Park and they get a bonus point against Leinster and they win the two home matches and Carberry plays in all the games and he gets uh, his minutes and you sort of go, well, fine, that's that's doing what it's meant to do. Mm-hmm. Um but it, it, I suppose it's just, it's not as straightforward as it looked at the end of May when the signing was announced. What do, you, what do you think about the theory that Munster, in their eagerness to get Carberry, or in the RFU's eagerness to get Carberry to play a team, they've landed themselves with... Uh, Quarterback controversy. Well, I was going to say a, a Kiwi out half in a South African-styled team think there's any fairness in that yeah i think there is um i think with to 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 mitigate that looking at the way munster played in the heineken cup last season uh not the heineken cup sorry the pro 14 semi they were definitely looked to put more width on the ball and they were definitely looked to play it out and you could you could probably argue that they didn't have enough uh scale at 10 like we handling really like they didn't yeah. have enough Scandal didn't play well in that Scandal game didn't play well and just the pace of it so having some like having Joey Carberry who is probably the most skillful player in Ireland certainly the most skillful ball handler in Ireland playing there um, could only could only improve but I was thinking about oh, the culture sorry that was Noel Reid <laughs> <laughs> you're Noel Reid alert must remember to praise reader um, but I, I do think the culture I think the culture uh, question is interesting I was thinking of this after listening to the second captain's talk with Gary Neville when he talked about the Man United culture and I was sort of going God is, is that contrived is that made up or is that a real deep seated thing because certainly um, like Rob Penny down at, down at Munster it didn't click it didn't do for it didn't do for people. I thought Rob Penny was a good coach, and I thought Rob, Rob he came yeah, across really I, well. I think that I think that the players, for the most part, responded to him. I think that there was uh, more a case of certain, you know, significant enough number of the fans didn't um, want to buy what he was selling. But I I thought that the players played quite well for him. And I I thought he, you know, he left on a high when he. He got a one-year uh, contract offer extension after two years, and I th- think he, um, they they'd been semi-finalists in both competitions, and to only get the extra year uh, was was seen as the thing that drove him off, rather than being rewarded with another two years. I thought I thought Rob Penny did quite a, quite a a reasonable job, and that players seemed to to like him. I think the fans are more important in that than you'd give them credit for i think uh, i think the player i think a lot of the players are like to to a large extent the fans are the club uh yeah agreed football and rugby um the players are sort of transitory like the the careers are short by definition there's very few guys who like have a have a decade-long career Mm -hmm. um and players by and large like have to have a really positive mindset it's it's just, you know they're all young guys they've had success all the way through their mm. lives they're sort of living the dream by playing what they're doing and they're in that very positive team environment so like I think a lot of the Leinster guys are go, oh Matt O'Connor like he was a good guy or like I really like Matt oh you know like Matt wasn't a bad it wasn't his fault it was our fault and you're sort of going who are you kid <laughs> like <laughs> look what happened before and after like it had to be Matt O'Connor's fault so um, that's a really good point I, I, I just fans. I just think that the cultural thing like I think the South African fit for Munster and I think like the more confrontational sort of style that the, yeah. that the Safas bring and I think the fact that they're they're more eager to play that well, and there's a lot of there's a lot of Safas there's, and there's quite a few music. well there's there's Blaindow and Reese Marshall and they're not central to the no no that's the, a good point yeah I, I always felt like uh, Leinster imported a Kiwi ethos as, as much as you know they imported any kind of ethos and the 
Nordies and the uh, Munster lads went for the Safa influence. And uh, I think Connacht obviously went for the well, if you, like, if you consider if you consider Munster's that's coaches, such a fucking stupid, like gigantic yeah. generalization, but I do. I, I Munster feel like went with uh, the, the Tony McGowan was Australian, then Rob Penny was a Kiwi, Anthony Foley Irish, obviously, and then uh, Riff was, Riff was an Aussie. Yeah, and and um, and then uh, Razi and Van Gran are both South African. So, you know, they've been they've been. Uh, They've had they've had all the sort of different experiences. I was trying to think culturally, like how, how would I try to categorize the teams? And I would have said Leinster uh, promote from within. They have a youth academy, and that's that's sort of the hallmark of Leinster. It's it's not importing a load of guys. Like okay, look, they've had very high profile imports who have worked out very well, but. It's not like, uh, again, going back to Matt O'Connor, like, oh, we just need to import, like, four more ex-internationals and, and that will solve anything and I don't need to pick any of my young players. I think Munster, when they've been really successful, has been, like, guys coming in and it's probably been guys coming in from the club game and it's been a confrontational style. It's been more forward-oriented and sort of halfbacks. And then I think Connacht, when they've had success, have been, like, playing a wide game. And there's yeah. very few there's very few times that Connacht have been success and it's it's probably been like more peaks and greater sort of lows and a sort of a willingness to take more risks than the other provinces. And I was trying to go like, you know, so what is like what does Holster stand for? And then I was there going, important Springboks and, and they can't they can't do that. But like having Rune Pienaar and Robbie Kempson and Pedri Vonenberg and I was there going, like there's really like Ulster to put a sort of uh, like a stamp on what Ulster rugby is. I was, I was, I'm, I'm struggling really with Ulster about what sort of culturally what it's about. Like Davy Humphreys would be Mr. Ulster and he left. And yeah. I, I don't know. I'd be sort of answers on a postcard really to that one. Yeah, they have changed a lot. It's difficult when we were really young kids growing up. Uh, Ulster were the premium team in, in Ireland in the 80s. And yeah. they took and they took such pride in it when the, the other provinces weren't that pushed about the inter pro season. Yeah. Like Ulster won it and wore it as a badge of honor. And I think on the culture thing, I think a lot of teams, most teams don't. Most teams find it hard to define. Uh, like I look at Leicester now compared to the Leicester mutants beating the absolute lard out of each other on mm. a Tuesday. Dean Richards, Martin Johnson, supplemented by Jordy Murphy and Austin Healy, but like. A really, really competitive setup. Uh, you look at the Bath team and that sort of idea of, you know, you might be good enough for England, or are you good enough for Bath? That sort of culture of peer pressure. Nobody parroted it in England at the same time, but they couldn't, they couldn't replicate. You look at the Crusaders and you go, they definitely have something. Mm. Um, Saracens, for all their flaws, definitely have something. Yeah, they, yeah. they definitely have a, a way about doing it. Toulouse with the sort of their their idea of the esports, the imports, the what's their what's their, their three splits? Is it esports, imports and other other French teams. Other French teams, yeah. yeah. Um that sort of so so most teams and Exeter are very good. Most organizations Yeah, well I agree Exeter will have their own identity. Yeah, and and just like a way of doing things. Um and Claremont like, had their own way of doing things. You know, and then Toulon uh, had their own way of doing things. Like, and we talked about this before, but Toulon just bought all the best players in the best positions and put them together on the pitch. Whereas Claremont were able to find guys who had less uh, less salary demands and less immediate qualities and meld them together. But it would, from very, very diverse backgrounds. Um, Where are you going about the, the, the club identities, though? Oh, about uh, New Zealand versus South African identity. Oh, yeah. Yeah, to loop back around to our original point with my skillfully executed... Um, Segway. Segway. Uh, is, is Joey Carby most aligned with, in a playing sense, Willie LaRue in, in, like, in a South African player? As in like a small uh, but extremely creative fullback who gives you like extreme like creativity, running power. And yeah, and in the middle of the pitch as well. And the other thing is, it's very difficult to gain, say... Somebody like Graham Henry when he says, "Oh, you've just found your next ten for the next decade," like his his opinion, his opinion is carries enormous weight in the game. Um, but it, you know, it could be that Carberry might be a better fifteen than a than a ten. 
Certainly, if you if you play a certain style of rugby where you want to have a second receiver, uh, where you can coach a team to to take advantage of that, uh, to my mind, it makes sense. And it was really interesting when he was playing quite there quite regularly for for Leinster. It was really interesting to see him at fifteen. Uh, because he's also a great open field runner. Mm-hmm. You know, having him in the middle of the pitch gives him a step. He has a two-way step, as does Larmer, but they're very different players. Um, Carberry can distribute. So as a yeah. counter-attacker, he gives you a huge threat. And his, and his best rugby is in, seems to be more instinctive. Mm-hmm. Like his ability to make breaks. Um, he, he's, he's, like he's, he's a pleasure to watch. Is the international uh, game in crisis? <laughs> <laughs> the game is absolutely dead. What uh, do you mean by crisis, Crusty? <laughs> the cloud didn't like that. <laughs> Referee blows for half time. Speaking of other Irish uh, fullbacks, uh, Simon Zebo has a lacked, pleasure to watch. Pleasure to watch um, is over uh, playing in the top cut tours. I haven't seen any of his games. Looks fit. Looks fit. I was going to say, really red, fast. I was going to say, is slimming in France. <laughs> has, has he lost the weight? <laughs> Steve Thompson. Well, Steve he Tomo looks, said the bread looks, is slimming. No, uh, I'm not saying that about Zebo. It's too mean. Uh, I haven't seen any of his games. He lost the weight. <laughs> In fairness, <laughs> was, um, call it Avoir du Poix in France. <laughs> I haven't seen any of Zebo's games, but uh, how's he getting on? Super duper. Um, I saw a try that he set up for uh, Racing now was finished off by Vakatawa. And the camera, I was I watched it on, I, it was a YouTube clip or something. And when Zebo took the ball, he came from really good depth. But then he put on afterburners like I hadn't seen for, you know, a couple of years, really. You know, and he looks extremely happy playing rugby over there at the moment. And I, I think he's gotten five games and five tries. So he's not quite at Chris Ash's pace, <laughs> but he's he's not far from it in terms of try scoring. Um, but he really looks like he's, in, he's, um, he's enjoying do you know what he's doing? Playing with a smile on his face. I think I also saw this in sort of two ways, or maybe the commentary that I read seemed to see it in two ways last year that, oh, you know, we have to make an exception for Zeebs and pick him, or else he's damned. Does he know what he's given up? There's no, there's no international rugby. Does he, does he realise what he's missing? So he was either an enormous fool. Look at him wearing the socks down around his ankles. Or Schmidt was an enormous fool. And you kind of go, well, maybe it's going to be something different that he'll go over, he'll he's playing in France he's a really good time and maybe he comes back to Munster at the at the end of his time in France haven't had a <laughs> haven't had a great two years over there haven't really enjoyed his rugby and then and then the next thing happens um, come he's on not, putting the weight back on <laughs> <laughs> the bread lads he's he's not he's not going to get picked for Ireland unless there's an absolute injury crisis um, and in the same in a sort of a similar manner, like Will Addison has appeared in Ulster, um, and he's another guy who's going to start. A lot, yeah. He's another guy who's going to start a lot of matches, and he's playing in Ireland, and he can play full back. And uh, I think Joey Carberry could play full back. I think as we have mentioned. Well, before. the other fellow who's who I think has started the season extremely well is Lamour. Believe it's pronounced Lamour. Um, who looks super at, at fullback? You know, it was Rob Kearney had a start there in the RDS against the Dragons, and it was um, and I'm Rob's sole defender in this podcast, but he didn't play well. And then, um, not as bad as Dave. <laughs> Jesus, harsh. Um, and then, but Lar- Larma was super. He can't set him right. Really. Excellent. Um, Do you think uh, I, I have a I get a sense of him sometimes that uh, he's kind of like one of the young mutants at Doctor X's academy, and he's working out the limits of his superpower because sometimes he's just 
just turning into trouble and stepping. I think that's a good analogy. Thank you. <laughs> Um, when he's playing in the Six Nations, he'll be a member, I guess, featuring in Excalibur, <laughs> the British-based X-Men. No, but you know what I mean? There was there was a, a quote where Johnny said something, and I think it was after one of the Six Nations. Yeah, when he, went, he, he went, went the wrong way into seven and he thought he could beat them all. Yeah, but there, and there, was, a, there was a kick he took in the, uh, the game against Scarlet, where he uh, fielded a kick... And then sort of turned back the way you wouldn't expect blindly and, and then just started like hopping left and right with like incredible skill. Yeah. But it was, it, it seemed to be a case of. It's like that Harry Enfield sketch. He's determined the, to. The dribbling footballer. <laughs> yeah. He's determined to uh, beat as many players as he can um, rather than necessarily. Uh, I don't know. We're just, I'm, I'm just accustomed to fullbacks being much more pragmatic. Yeah, and I've... Um, that I've just sung the praises of Willie LaRue and... Yeah, well, you know, I think there's a huge... Um, one of the things I've been impressed with uh, with Larmer is that he actually has... He has the footballing ability to play fullback and that he has quite an accomplished attacking kicking game. And then when he puts the ball on his foot going forward, it's generally quite a good kick. Um, I haven't seen him. I don't think he's going to be uh, looked to as a, you know, in your own dead ball area, putting in big clearance kicks or anything like that, like a Matt Burke type of player. But you know, he has that. He has a level of footballer which is much more so than you would think from a sort of typical winger slash fullback, which is one of the mo- most unwelcome slashes in the game. I think he, he played very well in Australia. Uh, in all the testaries on the pitch and I was struck by how much faith Schmidt had in him and how he he wasn't reluctant to to play him at mm. any stage he was and how well Larmer handled it he didn't he, he didn't make any stupid mistakes which you you know as a, like young guys are more likely than experienced guys far more prone to it yeah to just make Rash decisions, and he d- he didn't do it, and, um, and it's just, is that in life as well? No, solely in sports. Solely, in, I in thought sports. so. Um, so at some stage, Rob Carney has to run out of road, but like Schmidt is Schmidt is such a fan. It's it's really difficult to see him not being picked for the Japan World Cup. Um, he also is off the back for a really good season. Yeah, and you he played. What? He played excellent. He he was yeah. he played really really well last year. Say it again. But he's he played really really well last year. But he's. He's at, I'd just be interested to see where Larmer plays most of his rugby. Yeah, I'm. I think it's. I think it's fascinating because I think that's where the most pressure is going to come on to Kearney is from is from inside Leinster. Because at the moment, when you have um, Larmer and Lowe combining together, uh, they look really sensational. Mm. Yeah, it's a really good combination, and there's so much try scoring threat. And we, we again commented before the the Scarlets match, the Scarlets semi final, the Heineken Cup match, how little threat there was from the Leinster back three, uh, with with Lowe not being there. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Ferg, keep on saying it, they should put a statue to the man of the ODS or rename the ground on every corner. Um, but he's not. Uh, He's not Reco Ioanni uh, by any stretch. No, he isn't. He isn't. But he is a try scorer. He is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love him. Uh, does Australia's continued uh, woefulness as this season goes on for them internationally, do you think that in any way discredits the achievements of our tour victory? Good question. Um, Which also seems like ages ago. It does seem like a long time ago. It was quite a long time ago. I think it does discredit it. I don't think that Australia... I think Australia actually played well against us in those games. I expect an awful lot more from them in the uh, Tri-Nations plus one. And devalue maybe rather than discredit. Devalue. It does devalue. Right? That's a good point because yeah. it, it, discredit means black and white. Devalue yeah. means obviously a percentile gain or loss. Um, so I think it does devalue it a little bit. I would like to say it doesn't. I thought that was actually a good win. And I think that if the Australia team that played against us was playing against, um, in, in terms of how well they played and in terms of how 
with such a level of concentration that they certainly would have beaten uh, Argentina in the last game. They played poorly in that game. They played poorly in their game against South Africa. Uh, if they'd played to the level where they'd played against us in any one of the three tests, including the two losses, they would have beaten both those teams. So it's difficult to say that... It's impossible to say that these series of losses haven't devalued our series win in there because I think they have. Mm-hmm. The record books will show that it's not a good Australian team that lose so many matches. But I do think they played their best rugby against us. And I think they have... I think they have significantly talented players on their side. I'm surprised by how badly they're doing at the moment. You can have a situation where uh, players, coach loses the dressing room, to to use the vernacular. Certainly, chatting to an Argentinian friend, he was saying that like the Argentinians lost to Wales in the at the same time that we were beating the Aussies. And in Argentina, and they're usually good on that summer mm-hmm. tour. As they're well. usually good on that summer tour. And the story was that the players all just lost interest with Horcade. Uh They were all playing for the Haguars because they all have to stay at home, and they all wanted to play for Ledesma. So, to all intents and purposes, they appeared to throw that. Um, like I don't think they went out on purpose to lose, but morale was very low. Morale was low. And then once Ledesma came in, they really wanted to play. There was a huge amount of belief. And uh, yeah, I think it does devalue. Like, it would be much better if... But the last match Australia played um, in in the Southern Hemisphere before our test series was the beat New Zealand. Yeah. And like, I, I, think it was a really, I think it was really good for us to go down there and win. I think it's probably a reminder of, of how good Argentina can be, of how good uh, South Africa can be, of how competitive the World Cup is going to be. Mm. Like for Argentina as well, um, they're, they're going to change their policy and uh, it allows some of the European players to play. And I think what I believe is that will make a big difference, particularly in the front row where they have a number of good props playing abroad. Mm-hmm. They don't have the depth at front row to compete at an international level where you you need to have four test quality props Mm. to to you know sort of exist for 80 minutes playing against new zealand and south africa and england and france whereas if you bring in the guys that are in europe yeah you have that absolutely so uh they're in a really tough pool they're in with england and france in in the world cup um so you could have a situation where England don't make it out of their group for the second World Cup in a row. Or, you know, there's, there's, there's a few things that'll happen there, but the World Cup is going to be really competitive. And I think there's, there's a lot of discussion about Ireland breaking through the glass ceiling of the quarterfinals and what we have to do. Um, can't guarantee anything. It's a cup. But you can't. No, no, it's too hard. And there's, there's too many good teams. Mm. And, you know, you wouldn't discount the Aussies from being in another in another final yeah and like it's who cup knows match. cup match you know, like, who it's knows? cup match rugby once you get it once you get really into the it depends where how your first game goes your first tough game uh either you're playing cup match rugby every weekend if you lose your if you if you lose your first tough match you're playing you're playing for your life in every next game mm. um if you don't then once you get into the quarters you know you're just playing one-off games against people who are massively motivated yeah you know, it is, a, it is, um, like there is no foolproof planning for it. No. Anyway. 72 times capped Irish former fullback Jordan Murphy, now Leinster, Leicester, excuse me, caretaker, uh, coach, head coach. Been appointed full-time, isn't he? Full-time. He's got the gig. 72 times capped Part-time. former Irish fullback Jordan Murphy has now been made full-time coach of Leicester. He once ate a burger out of your own hands outside the 51 on Haddington Road. True fact. And he's flip-flopped like John Kerry uh, talking about PC gone mad uh, about high tackles. I knew he was going to... I wondered whether he would consider himself after the reaction that it got or whether somebody... In the Leicester hierarchy, Leicester has a strong board. Clive Woodward, I think, is on the board still. Um, and I I presume that's where it came from. I presume he got uh, literally hauled in front of the board uh, 
and they said, listen, we don't want to be associated with those sort of remarks. Uh, it's not at all good for what uh, we want to portray as rugby. This is what you should say and go and say. Right, that's what I think happened. Um, he, he sounded incredibly contrite for a guy who was pretty glib about it in the immediate aftermath. It, it's, it didn't seem like a normal, this was the reaction then, that's the reaction now. It seemed, he seemed to take it far more seriously uh, than, than I expected him to. Uh, I didn't think he was going to double down and I knew he'd come out and say something, but it was, he, he really, uh, he really sort of laid it on. He's, it's one of the interesting, it's got another one of the interesting stories this year is how is he going to get on? Because there's an, there's another, it's another Irish guy in a really high profile job um, outside of Ireland. Yeah, good point. Except that if you look at the route, it's, and it happened to him overnight. Like the story I think was that Matt O'Connor wasn't back from Australia in time for preseason or like something that would just make you roll your eyes. And he hadn't followed, again, what the board... The board had suggested that they make a number of... They implement, like, a number of, sort of, their recommendations or that, that they had they agreed better. with Matt O'Connor that they were going to do something. That wasn't adhered to. And he was just gone after one loss to Exeter. Sayonara. So Murphy, overnight, is in the top job. And the... the Probably didn't have the requisite media training to not say but that, that kind that's of the thing. thing. Like, Rob Baxter and Todd Blackadder and Nick Kennedy, who's in charge of London Irish, uh, were all interviewed during the summertime for an article. I think it was in The Telegraph. And talking about the pressures that come yeah, of being the director of rugby. Really good article. And then, like, Harlequins have split the role. And you go from being, like... You go from like having a coaching role to then having a director of rugby role and it's tough. So you look at the way that Raj is doing it and he certainly seems to be going about it the right way. Um, he certainly seems to be sort of seeing a lot of different angles in different clubs, going from different experience, like building up a sort of um, like almost a failsafe and a fullback and getting used to, to moving around different countries, like not looking to just stay in Ireland, like proving that he can work broad different language different language a uh, long way from home down in New Zealand um, that's the language I was talking about <laughs> <laughs> and whereas Jordan has been like all of a sudden he just seems to have been parachuted into it so it'll it'll bring a big challenge and I don't know if it's kind of readily accepted the difference between being a coach and being a director of rugby because the guys who were talking about being a director of rugby were saying like God like the rugby's almost a relief like a coach like it's, mm. it's actually great being out in the pitch but like everything else is really hard and it just it never stops and you have these qualms about like how, when can you ring people when is it socially accepted to ring people because it's always on your mind and like even if you're on holiday you're still walking along the beach thinking about like your strength and conditioning or who you need to get in as your reserve 10 or like, or other stuff, or like, or, or other stuff. Is, is, I mean, is our is our academy forwards coach up to it? We only brought him in this year. You know that all comes under your remit. Like um, it's a lot of it's a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, so so it's a, it's a tough role for him to go in because Leicester's a huge, like Leicester's the biggest club in England. It's, they still have massive attendances. Mm. They have they have like it's. The best comparison is with um, the football championship. So not the first tier of football, but the second tier. Leicester would be um, sort of mid-table, mid-to-upper table in, in terms of attendance numbers. You know, they're, they're roughly like 19,500, 20,000 average home gate, which in rugby terms is fucking enormous. Mm. You know, like English championship is really well supported. You have massive, yeah. massive teams are in the yeah. championship. Uh, and Leicester are sort of they're at, at that level like they are a really well supported team with said like an absolutely amazing tradition in rugby you know they are like they're they're a great club and Jordy and yeah. has this opportunity with them mm. so like he's under a lot of pressure but he, he could do could do really excuse me could do really well he could I would be very surprised if he does really well if he if he brings them <clears throat> even over three years 
Oops. Even over three years. <laughs> Even over three years. If he brings them to contend with uh, Exeter and Saracens, who I don't think either of them are going anywhere in terms of being the best clubs in England, uh, he'd have done an amazing job. Do you think he'll get three years? And do you think you're better off being in the situation that he's in where he has an opportunity at Leicester? Or do you think you're better off going down like the Paul O'Connell route? Um, I don't think he's better off. I don't think you're better off getting an opportunity when you're not ready for it. People, people might judge you for the rest of your career on something you weren't ready for. Do you think Leo Cullen was ready for it when he got the job? Uh, Personality-wise, I think he was ready for it. Experience-wise, clearly not. But I think Leo was... Like, the difference between Leo Cullen and Jordan Murphy is that as a leader of men, Leo Cullen like has impeccable credentials mm. you know a three-time Heineken Cup winning captain a guy who left Leinster uh, went away was was one of Leicester's captains during a period when Leicester were still very strong came back completely took the reins uh, with with Leinster transformed the culture of the team with the captain of Ireland in the team mm. and the next captain of yeah. Ireland in the team like he he is one of he's uh, always considerably understated. Probably, probably uh, still slightly underestimated now. With thank God we've got Stuart Lancaster <laughs> around, but he is one of he's the most successful Heineken Cup captain in the history of the tournament. You know, he's the most successful. Mm. He's won. He's won four either as captain or coach. I feel like he was mentally prepared for that job. Yeah, he, he, like he was. You know, it was always in his mind to he's be Leicester coach. Such. A, Probably happened quicker than he thought. A season exactly. happened quicker than he thought, maybe. Exactly, and he's he's got he's got the uh, never too up when you're when you're up, never too down when you're down. And Jesus, he's at the media training. He's boring as seen. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we talked about this again last week in in an article, but um, he's the chairman of PR company with a number of multinational Lester clients. Like, more than a PR he, company. <laughs> he advises, uh, he advises oh, big clients. professional rugby? Or maybe he doesn't advise, he, does, like, he doesn't advise, his brother advises who's the managing director, but like Leo's the chairman. He's got mm. a professional interest, he's, I think he's a shareholder in it as well, of what used to be his dad's PR company. So he knows exactly how to deal with the media and what a media strategy is and what you have to give out and what you don't have to give out. Yeah, so and, he has that professional... And way to address it. But he also like has that mien of... Like, he is a natural-born, quiet leader. Mm. He has that quiet something that commands. can't remember the actual quote. One last thing about the uh, Aviva Premiership. Gallagher Premiership. Gallagher Premiership, excuse me. Um, it struck me that I don't see an awful lot That is lot run of, by cunts. Yeah, it is. Um, I read a lot, of, a lot of the sort of below-the-line commentary when uh, Matt O'Connor got fired. And um, there was a lot of talk of the Leicester board. And there's also this kind of like recurring talk about the uh, selection policy in the Pro 14, which people have taken an issue with. And it struck me, like, isn't the thing with the, the Gallagher Premiership that basically there's two teams more who could play in it than there is spaces? And why don't they ring fence it and make two conferences so they don't have to play too many games? Well, I think that's a really big, wide topic. I, I was surprised, uh, we, we talked about this briefly off mic, when so much fuss was made about Leinster's selection going over to Cardiff in their Leinster's first game of the season. Uh, Leinster have always had to field teams where they didn't have all players available for, for selection. And even when they had more players available for selection, they've chosen to select ostensibly weaker teams than they had to um and that is that has gone that's been that way for it's part of the culture of leinster when yeah. you go back to the promotion from within is that guys get an opportunity um and you're not going to be able to sign and you want to be competitive and you know you're going to be contributing international players so you have to give them you can't just wait until you're playing the Dragons and then throw in, like, 10 of the under-20s. Yeah. Um, but there's also a situation where there's... You've got to play... If you get to two semifinals, 
in European and so Cup and Cup and League, you play. There's that's thirty games. That's mm-hmm. thirty club games, and then say ten international games. You know, in a season, so that's forty games in in a season. Nobody, no, not a single player in the world, not the most. Uh, contact wary winger can play 40 games in a season like it's absolutely not fucking possible mm-hmm. well that's what I'm that, that's sort of the, the I know it's, this is a let's approach this gigantic topic with a sweeping yeah. generalization that I came up while reading the comment section of a Guardian article about Man O'Connor being part but like if if there's, you know, it used to be that Leeds Carnegie went up and down, wasn't it? They used to get promoted and then relegated every time. Yeah. And then it was London Irish. Irish doing it every every so often. And then Bristol have invested a lot of money. But, like, there's obviously a limit of... Uh, Bristol kept on faffing around in the championship, do you remember that? Well, until, they, 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 until a billionaire just kept on throwing Stephen Lewis to uh, the problem. There's a limit to how many viable clubs there are in England. And if, like... <laughs> Yeah, two. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, you know, it, it seems that what they would like to emulate is to consistently have rich dickheads pile loads of money into small town clubs and see if they can get it working. Rather than saying, like, these are all the viable teams and we can't have everyone playing every game because it's hurting the national team. Uh, we can't have uh, everyone playing... 13 home and away games so like where does the fucking i don't know split the difference that i'm saying make two leagues of seven like it, it'll be as meaningful as the fucking conferences in the pro 14 and you still have the same amount of games as a 12 team league and then you now have the fear of relegation which is effectively making play, every, a lot of teams play crap rugby i i don't know what to um i don't know how i I don't know what to say about rugby in England. Um, their their international team isn't playing well. Their club sides. Like you have a number of you have a number of English players coming out and saying that they're playing too much rugby. You know, very baldly just saying like we are playing too much rugby. We're, we're getting injured. We're playing injured. And then you have the premiership owners saying that if the internationals are going to be played in July they'll push the premiership season into June Rob Baxter made a good point about uh, players and playing less games and things goes well they could be playing for no money you know if if the clubs go under they're all making a loss like one of the one of the English rugby's I couldn't I couldn't get over this and I still can't English rugby has a problem with uh, English professional club rugby has a problem with other clubs being in debt, and they would all say one of the big reasons is they pay too much in salaries to their players, and they don't get enough people through the gates. So the moment they got in extra money from BT, they raised the salary cap themselves. Instead of saying we have got this extra money from BT, how can we spend it? We're all in debt. All our salary bills are too much. Let's raise the salary cap. It, to me, that was a, a absolutely mind-blowing decision. Mm. But I don't know. Maybe the British are too culturally wed to the idea of a free market. They can't... Uh, I think that's a big part of it. Um, they can't abide to the idea that there's no meritocratic promotion relegation set up. Like, and there's just these teams from around Britain. It seems too American or something to them. Were too Irish, and then somebody wanted to buy their premiership, and I, I was I was still trying to figure out the angle. Like all their, they're not buying the clubs; they're buying the competition. Mm. Um, that that's the a clubs that the clubs own, and I was trying to figure out the angle of of what's in this. Like you're never gonna have a hundred percent control of that competition because. Like it's it's a it's a it's a company that was set up by the clubs plus like London Irish or something like that. Like it's basically all the yeah, big clubs. So I mean, clubs, they know yeah. they know exactly who they want to be in it, and it's just uneven yeah. the number. Um, 
There's a lack of enlightened self-interest, I think, is the the word, the phrase, isn't it? But I, I, I struggle to see what they were going to get if they paid for it or... Because it's, it's a declaration of war on the international game once somebody else invests. Like, once somebody comes in and owns the league outside of the clubs, then, like, that's it. But as you said, like, the clubs aren't money-making entities because they give they just give the money to the players once once there's extra money comes in. Mm. Um, the RFU have a, have, a, have a deal with... The uh, with the clubs about how much money the clubs get, but they they review it based on the revenue coming into the game. The RFU also pay absolutely massive game fees and win bonuses to the English players. They do huge money compared to what uh, Irish players get. Now people really want to play for England because like the the appearance money is fucking enormous. Let's wrap it up there because. Uh Man United are in a penalty shootout with Derby County. (laughs) (laughs) Good evening. Tonight my guest is AFL-CIO Chairman George Meany, who will be discussing collective bargaining agreements. It's a pleasure to be here, Frosty. Let me be blunt. Is there a labour crisis in America today? Well, that depends what you mean by crisis. 